Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Jonah, beginning in chapter 1, verse 17, through the end of chapter 2. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed around upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. For what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As you're seated, uh, let's take a moment to pray for God's help today. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this account of the wayward prophet Jonah. And the way in which you intervened that your will might continue to be done, that he might be changed and taught, that we might be changed and taught. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, may your spirit change us. May it cut us up and put us back together. Give us your spirit now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we're continuing in the book of Jonah, as you notice, we started with verse 17 in chapter 1. And if you notice, there's kind of these little bookmarks around this passage. And if you're looking in your Bible in Jonah chapter 2, you might see that it looks a lot like a psalm. It's kind of offset, and it's set up in a paragraph-type format that's different than the rest of the text. And that is because there is a lot going on here uh, that's shifted from our first chapter, shifted from the narrative, and it has a poetic nature to it. In fact, a lot of the words that Jonah speaks here are allusions to psalms, as he is recounting a prayer that he made while he was at the bottom of the sea. Part of the imagery here is... uh, really in light of what verse 17 said from chapter 1, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now sometimes, depending on how many VeggieTale versions of Jonah we've seen, uh, we think Jonah got thrown out of the boat, and before he even hit the water, there was this great, you know, Jaws-type figure, comes out of the water and catches him. That's not necessarily how we read what happened here in Jonah chapter 2. And so some of the details as we look through here are are not particularly in order. As we look at 17, it tells us something that happened. But then what's happening here now is Jonah is praying, but he's not praying the initial prayer. It's a prayer about a prayer that he already prayed. 
as he sunk to the bottom of the sea. Now there's some question whether or not this great fish was a whale or a shark or what have you. Indeed, maybe there's some helpful research we can do, but to be clear, things like words fish didn't have necessarily the same meaning we have. It could have been a mammal or, you know, whatever. The point being made is it was the Lord who appointed it. And he appointed this fish to swallow up Jonah at that very moment in which Jonah was certain he was going to die. And as we look at this passage, if you remember, right, Jonah had just been cast off of the boat. Sure, he was going to die along with the sailors. Knew that he had been running from the presence of the Lord. Said, look, if you want to be saved, you need to throw me overboard and the sea will relent. Because the Lord had appointed the storm to come. And now the Lord had appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. And as he was thrown into the sea, he sunk down and down and down. One of the themes we didn't really cover as we looked at chapter 1 was this imagery of Jonah going down. If you look back in Jonah chapter 1, it says that he got the word of the Lord and he wanted to flee. And so he went down to Joppa and he got onto the boat. And then he went down into the lower part of the boat to sleep. And now he is thrown overboard and he goes down into the sea not just into the water, but down into the depths, down to the roots of the mountain, down to where the weeds are growing, down even to the point of death in Sheol. Jonah has fallen down, 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 down. This is one of the ironic things that the Lord is speaking through this satirical book. Remember, we talked about this is often flipping things on its head, and Jonah is going down. But here is his prayer. It shows us God's mercy to Jonah, that indeed Jonah was counted as dead. He was thrown overboard. He deserved God's judgment. If not dead in the crashing of a boat, dead by being thrown overboard into the tumultuous sea. And as Jonah has been rescued from this fate, here is his prayer, recounting the Lord's mercy. He prayed to the Lord, verse 1, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. We have this back and forth throughout this prayer. What Jonah has done and what the Lord has responded. Jonah has called out to the Lord in his distress, not only in the belly of the fish, but he says, in the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead. He was counted as dead. And he cries out to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? The Lord answers, hears, He calls out, the Lord answers. He cries, the Lord hears. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
interesting here in verse 3 as we look at this passage Jonah's perspective has changed significantly as one who has sought to flee from the presence of God oh the Lord wants me to do this well I guess I'm just going to go and head the other direction to flee the presence of the Lord and yet now of course he knows that was a mistake an impossible thing to do but even the act that Jonah himself had told to have happened to him, to be thrown into the sea, that the sailors themselves had picked him up and thrown him into the sea, he said, you cast me into the sea. Your waves, your billows have passed over me. That even in Jonah's rebellion, even in Jonah's giving up of himself to guilt, He's now confessing that it was the Lord who is at work. It was the Lord who has corrected him. It was the Lord that had stopped him in his folly and had thrown him into the sea and caused the waves and the billows to bring him down and down and down. Look at the irony in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. The one who is fleeing from the presence of the Lord in his own power and strength, his own cunning attempt to escape the word of the Lord. Now he confesses, I'm driven away. It's not that I'm able to flee, but it is instead that you have driven me away. You have cast me into the sea. I feel like I have been removed from your presence. And yet Jonah has hope, hope of restoration, hope that he might see the Lord's holy temple. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me and the weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The imagery here is that Jonah is at the absolute bottom of the sea, the roots of the mountains. Think about how unexplored the depths of the seas are, even in our day, right? All of the lands, they flow down into the unknown of the darkness of the sea. And it's at the bottom of these roots of the mountains where these weeds wrap, their, wrap around Jonah's head. He feels as if he's being put into a prison where the bars of death are gobbling him up forever. There are some commentators, when they look at the language here in Jonah chapter 2, actually believe that Jonah died. That the typology here of Jonah dying and being raised again, being in the belly of the whale for three days, that typological looking ahead to Jesus being in the tomb for three days, that this is actually a death and a resurrection. Now, there's nothing in the text that necessarily leads us to believe that that has to be the case. That's certainly as close as one might get. 
At a minimum, Jonah was counted as dead. He felt as if he was already descended down to the depths of the earth, to death itself, to Sheol, to this place where he would be entrapped forever. So dead that the weeds are beginning to wrap around his head. My life was fainting away, verse 7. But he remembered the Lord, and his prayer came to him. Into your holy temple. Verse 6, going back a little bit now. Yet you brought me at my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah had gone down and down and down. Even in his own psyche, as he is sitting here in the waters, perhaps holding on to his last bit of air, remembers the Lord. And he prays. We're not told much about what his prayer was, but he cries out in his distress. Remember verse 2. He called out to the Lord. And the Lord acted at that last moment before he died. Jonah remembered and he prayed. And his prayer came up to God. And Jonah begins to confess the things that we all must confess about our God about who it is that we serve, who it is that we often flee from, who it is that is sovereignly in control of all things, that even as we tell people to throw us over the ship, it's actually God that's in control of all of those actions. He says in verse 8, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. For what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is only Yahweh, only the Lord that is able to act. It is only He that hears. It is only Him that is able to intervene in this moment of desperation. Idols do not hear. Idols do not act. Idols do not have steadfast love. Idols are not in control of sailors and shipwrecks. Idols do not correct their wayward prophets. But it is Yahweh who saves. This recounting of the Lord's act of Jonah's prayer as he sinks down to the depths of the sea, as he faces death itself, it really highlights for us a few different themes. Indeed, as we think about Jonah and Jesus' words about Jonah, and ultimately as Jonah is being vomited up, to continue on the work of the prophet. It has this imagery of death and resurrection. That though Jonah was counted as dead, though he had disappeared for three days and three nights, though he ought to have been dead, though he had no breath left in his body, the Lord brought him back. Some posit that Part of the reason why those in Nineveh even believed Jonah is because of this fact. Can you imagine a man being spit up by a giant fish, stinking of all the fishiness that must have followed, who had perhaps almost died wandering into your city? How did you get here? 
Oh, well, I was in the fish for three days and three nights. Certainly a perplexing story, but one that shows us the ability of God to act, the ability of God to hear, the ability of God to resurrect what ought to have been dead. One of the other themes beyond death and resurrection here is it brings to mind the idea of repentance. Remember, Jonah began this story as a rebellious prophet who ran from the presence of God, who heard the word of the Lord and disobeyed, who came up with his own plan, ran away, got on a boat, hid in the bottom, continued to hold his tongue until it was at the point of bringing other people to death that he finally confessed his folly. And having been thrown into the sea, here we begin to see Jonah changing his mind. It reminds us of God's ever-present reality and sovereign control over all things. It brings to mind uh, Psalm chapter uh, 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There was no fleeing from God's presence. There was no way to escape his spirit. Whether Jonah got onto a rocket ship and went up into the heavens, the Lord would have been there. Whether he had gotten into the boat and down into the bottom or even fallen to the bottom of the sea, there the Lord's presence was with him, hearing him, watching him, ready to act. The imagery of the Lord's presence, this death and resurrection, this repentance from Jonah. This is instructive for us. Our shorter catechism gives us a really helpful definition of what repentance is. Uh, Chapter, I'm sorry, question 87 says this. What is repentance unto life? Somebody asks you, what is repentance? It's a good answer to remember. Also for your kids to remember. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. That is, repentance is something God uses for our salvation. It is a grace he bestows on us for our salvation. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, okay, so they understand their sin, and the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, so both of those are in hand. Right? You see this happening here with Jonah. He understands his sin. He understands his rebellion. He understands how he's fleed from the Lord's presence. But he also has an apprehension of the mercy of God available to him. It's not merely an earthly sorrow, not merely regret, not merely the earthly consequences of the problems that have come about because of his sin, but he also realizes that God's mercy is available to him. Okay, repentance of the life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God and with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It's a long 
kind of archaic way of saying those who have come to understand how wicked their sin is and how gloriously gracious and merciful God is turn from their sin and to God with full intent and endeavor to obey him. Important is the order in which we read that answer. As you look at things like the Shorter Catechism, many of our confessions of faith, the order is super important. This is a saving grace. It is a gift of God to his people. It is what God has wrought in Jonah's heart. It is not that Jonah has mustered up within himself all of these great things, but that God has been at work, that God has confronted him in his sin, and it has caused him to change, to apprehend his sin, and to also see. Verse 4, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. You heard me when I cried out. You brought up my life from the land of the dead. My prayer came to you. If I would have had a little more foresight, we might have used some of this passage in our confession of sin today. But this imagery of repentance, of death and life, death and resurrection are intrinsically tied together. For it is what we confess about the need to belong to Jesus Christ, that we must die in order to be made new, in order to be brought back to life. Jesus himself told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is calling his disciples, he's calling me and he's calling you to die to ourselves that we might find life in him. Romans chapter 6 puts it a different way. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even Paul uses this language as part of our sanctification, the way in which God is making us more holy in the days ahead. Even after we have repented, it is the same death and resurrection that we must live each day as Jesus calls us to take up our cross. Colossians chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you. And then he lists a bunch of terrible things that we are all guilty of doing. He says we must put them all away and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, even in our deaths, in fact, particularly in our deaths, and when I say deaths, plural, I want you to hear that. Because indeed there is once for all the death and judgment to come of all mankind. The consequence of sin that all man must face death. But that there are continual deaths to ourselves over and over again. And it is in those moments that God is most poignantly at work. Working out his will and his purpose 
in our lives? Is it no surprise that it is in tragedies and in sicknesses and in life or death situations that we see people confronted with the reality of God and their sinfulness, right? Apprehension of their sins, a true sense and a hatred of them and an apprehension of God's mercy to them. It is as Jonah doesn't have any breath left in his body and he is drowning at the bottom of the sea that he remembers the Lord. We're all familiar with deathbed conversions. Perhaps you know of some sort of famous person or even a loved one in your life that in that last moment, their last breath, the Lord had mercy on them. It is the privilege of hospice chaplains and hospital chaplains and those out on the battlefield to proclaim Christ to those who have just a few moments left to live. Perhaps the most famous of all deathbed conversions is the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Who is assured that today he would be with him in paradise. God often brings us to deaths in our lives. Deaths to ourselves, tragedies in our own hearts, convictions of our sins that we might call out to him like Jonah did. That he might hear us. That from the belly of Sheol we cry out. That we would turn back. That we would seek his mercy in the hour of need. Too often, though, we are caught up serving idols. And that is what Jonah presents for us. And in fact, if there was ever a theme in this passage that I hope you can take away is the central verses 8 and 9. This contrast between salvation belonging to the Lord and the futility of worshiping idols. Now, of course, we aren't those who like to have little statues of people or think of Poseidon, the god of the sea, and all of these, you know, pagan imageries of idolatry. But indeed, we are all those who have idols in our lives, who seek to grab on to other things for our security, for our salvation, for our life. What are the vain idols that we rely on? Jonah trusted in his self to go and to flee from the presence of God, to go to some pagan fishermen and get on a boat. I'm not sure what God he was serving in that moment. Indeed, he thought he was the master of his own destiny, just like most of us do. And it took God's intervention, God's rebuke, being hurled into the sea, being cast down and down and down until there was no life left in him that he remembered who the Lord was. Now here's the good news. The good news is that we don't have to wait until we are faced with actual death to be obedient to God. Right? God isn't just merciful to the thief on the cross. He isn't just merciful to Jonah as he is giving up the last bubble of his breath. 
Indeed, the book starts with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah before he was rebellious. We'll see God's mercy continues on as Jonah's repentance seems to at least only be part way as he continues to have a hard heart towards God's will for the Ninevites. We don't need to wait. God's mercy is available to us. It is what Paul calls us to, to put to death that which is earthly in us. It is what Jesus called his disciples to, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after him, to lose our lives. But whether it is today or next week or in our deathbed, Christ is most Pointedly involved in our lives, in our deaths, because he is the resurrection and the life. There are things in your life and things in my life that must die. There are things that are causing us to rebel against God, to flee to our own devices. And it is when we come to grips with those things, that Jesus Christ meets us with new life. Oftentimes, that is painful. That is why it's called a death. That is why it's called denial. That is why it's putting off the old man. Putting to death that which is earthly in you sounds like a painful process. And yet it is through those deaths, through our death, that we find new life. Life through Jesus Christ. We are like Jonah, rebellious, unable to see our need of mercy until it seems too late, until the weeds are wrapped around our heads and it is complete darkness and we feel the weight of death on our chests. The good news is that Jesus Christ is the one who died for us, that we might be spewed out again to live another day, to follow his call again, that even as we'll see Jonah is continuing to be hard-hearted, so we will continue to be hard-hearted and have more things to die to, more things for the Lord to work out in our hearts and in our lives. But it is through Christ's death and resurrection that we have hope that it is not in vain, that he is not far away from us, that when we find ourselves in impossible situations, when we feel the pain of our loss, of our own sense of self-autonomy, of the things that we have put our hope and trust in as they fail us, We can cry out to God and he will hear us. We can cry out from the depths of Sheol and he will respond and he will act. That his mercy is available to us just as it is available to the thief on the cross. That we can experience new life and resurrection. That as we repent of our sins, as we apprehend the mercy of God and the heinousness of our sin, Christ has working in us that we might be renewed day in and day out for his purposes, for our good, and for his glory. May we submit 
to the cycle of death and resurrection. May we turn from our vain idols. May we put to death those things in our lives that cause us to flee. Ultimately, to be driven from God's presence and instead to cast them off and to seek his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ died, that we might have the hope of the resurrection through his resurrection. Lord, help us to see the things in our lives that cause us to be separated from your presence. Lord, thank you for the reminder of mercy and hope, even in our death, even in our last breath, that you can hear us. And you can act and you can bring salvation to those who are called by your name. Lord, help us to not be lax in our coming to you. Help us to come with faith, with desperation, and with hope, knowing that you hear us and that salvation belongs to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.